I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply, if rated PG. so many meals alone in so many hotels took a notebook from his pocket and wrote food bad service vile waiter probably on the run from the Viennese police good view of the sea obscured by yellow curtains he turned his head to look at the windows and saw for the first time that the table behind him was occupied he picked up the notebook again and pressing hard on the pen, wrote, Company Odious. Welcome to the Curiously Specific Book Club, the podcast that's curiously specific about dates and locations of well-known books. Where the company is always delightful. It is. Present company is very much accepted. Thank you very much. Every episode, we take a book out into the wild to see if the world of fiction matches up to the real world. My name's Lloyd Shepard. I'm a digital producer and a writer. My name is Tim Wright, and I'm a digital writer and a producer of immersive fiction. So we're doing a book called The Widow of Bath by Margot Bennett, published in 1952. Yes. Set in a seaside resort... That is not Bournemouth. That's the only clue you've got, really, She's isn't it? She's very yeah. clear. Now, you may not have heard of Margot Bennett. We're going to tell you about Margot Bennett. She, she, she deserves to be better well-known than she is. It's an absolute cracking read. Really, really strong book. Um, it uh, tells the story of a chap called Hugh Everton. Yes. Who is uh, staying in a very small, run-down, seedy hotel on the coast. Uh, he, he's there, he's there uh, ostensibly to review the hotel for an yeah. unnamed for an unnamed uh, hotel guy. I don't believe that he's a but hotel neither reviewer. Neither believe that. He seems to be a little bit handy with his fists uh, and a little bit uh, Bond-like, proto-Bond. Yes. There are a bunch of dodgy people in this hotel. There are, there are waiters with strange German accents. There's a barman with a strange Greek accent. And they know nothing about food or drink. They're very, very bad at their jobs. So we're going to have to talk about 
food so, and drink uh, in the 1950s. So what are, they, what are they up to? A bunch of visitors have just arrived at this hotel. Well, this is half where... Half of whom he knows. Yes. Well, this is where this book then does fit into our trilogy of pursuit novels and uh, novels of paranoia. Because there he is in his seaside hotel in the middle of nowhere. And who walks in but his old girlfriend, Lucy? Yeah. So she's now married to Judge Gregory Barth. Right. Judge Barth. No bit title. A, uh, well, a bit of a plot spot in the title. This is called The Widow of Barth. Yeah, okay. So, so you, can, yeah. you can probably predict what's well, going to happen. maybe, maybe. And then there are other shady characters turn up. There's a Colonel Atkinson who turns up. Who, who then Hugh decides that he's not that isn't Colonel Atkinson. This guy, he's he's now changed his identity uh, from being someone called Ronson, yeah. who he met in Paris three years ago, got in some shady dealings around trying to smuggle people across the border to Spain from France, and when he didn't comply, he got thrown, beaten up, and thrown in the River Seine by this Ronson fellow. by this Ronson figure who now. It, now pops up in this little hotel yeah. with Lucy and but Judge Barr. Denies he's Ronson, yeah. says he's Colonel Atkinson. Good, isn't it? It's, it's very, very, a good can setup. you see the atmosphere building, listener? Yeah, and uh, you're, 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 you're not sure who they are. Hugh's not sure why they're there. Yeah. You're not sure why Hugh's there. It's got multiple levels of paranoia. But let's start by taking you to our candidate for the locale for this particular book. Um, we're going to be down on the Kent coast, sitting on a bench looking at the sea. Rigid exclusion of the usual amenities had kept the town quieter than its neighbours. There was no cinema, the bus service was unreliable. Instead of a car park, there were many notices forbidding the parking of cars. The railway station was inconveniently placed. Nature had come to the help of the citizens by providing only the thinnest strip of gritty sand with a steeply shelving beach, attractive to suicidal infants but discouraging to the normal parent. The ring of brittle cliffs that surrounded the bay kept most of the houses at a decent distance from the sea. A small safe harbour brought a few sailing enthusiasts to the town. These were welcomed as they tended to put the rents up and keep the rates at a comfortable level. A generation of rich people had built large, comfortable houses around the bay, but time and income tax had seen their defeat, and the biggest of the houses had been turned into schools, nursing homes, and those dreary padded retreats known as private hotels. We are sitting uh, on a bench. Mm. You can hear a few seagulls behind us. You can probably hear seagulls and wind. Uh, we're looking out at the English Channel. Uh, it's a lovely uh, Friday morning, very blue sky, very warm, a few people swimming. We're in Ramsgate, Tim. I've never been to Ramsgate. I've never been to Ramsgate. It's the second time Ramsgate has featured in this podcast, though, because uh, it featured quite heavily in our Ridley Walker podcast. It did. Was the it the Ram. sort of head of Parliament? This is where the kind of, this is where Parliament was yes. in the in the Ridley Walker. It's a town on the Kent coast, uh, facing out to the over the English Channel. I've brought you here because um, I've been quite vexed finding the uh, terribly location, vexed, terribly vexed finding the location of the Widow of Bath by Margot Bennett, because 
there's quite a lot of clues as to where it might be, but they don't all match. Mm. So, for example, um, she talks about, in, in that excerpt, the, uh, the town being quite small. Ramsgate's quite large. Mm. She talks about having a harbour. She talks about it having an inconveniently placed railway station. That does work, because yep. they moved the railway station in Ramsgate from the harbour and the town out to on the edge of town in the 1920s. Uh, so it's got a harbour, it's got an inconveniently placed railway station, it's got lots of hotels, it's got lots of houses up on the cliffs. Yeah. There's other features that she mentions later on in the book. There's uh, gritty sand as well. The gritty sand. It's got a, it's got a, it has got a sloping beach of gritty sand. Yeah. Other things that are later mentioned are things like it's opposite the sand bank. They talk about the sand bank and going out for trips. Yeah. That's the Goodwin Sands, which is directly in front of us, uh, out in out in the Channel. So that's right. The harbour is is maybe a bit big yeah. for the book as described. But as you talk, I don't feel you're very vexed. You, um, sound, you sound like you're quite happy She also it. mentions a bandstand. Ooh, also, yeah. She specifically says it doesn't have a bandstand. That's right. Uh, it, Ramsgate does have a bandstand. Every, every town has a bandstand. Yeah. I went looking along the south coast looking for some town that doesn't have a bandstand. I couldn't find one. There is a very strong clue, though, uh, in terms of uh, location, where she talks about the house that will feature very strongly in this book the house the judge judge bath's house yes the widow of bath lucy bath is the wife in the of colonial judge style it's 5 miles from the town it says that several times in the very, book very very clearly 5 yeah. miles from the town yeah. i think if the house is on a cliff looking out over the sea it has to be 5 miles from a harbor it has to be ramsgate because 5 miles that way you're off the cliffs yes Right, so it can only be five... You're on the golf course. Actually, hold on, five miles that way, aren't you nearly at um, um, Hugo Drax's Moonraker base? Uh, yeah, but there's no houses on the cliffs up there. Well, there's a there's a there's Hugo Drax's Moonraker there base. There is Hugo Drax's Moonraker base, but there's no houses on the cliffs. But no, that's more than five miles, I think. That's only five miles that way, you're a deal. But there is a yacht. Look, they've provided a yacht on demand because the reason, the reason for the harbour is obviously they're bringing in people that they shouldn't be bringing in into the town. So this is quite a good location for that. Well, Ramsgate is really good for that generally, yeah. I have to say. It has a history of smuggling yeah. and people trafficking. Uh, and obviously right now, it's one of the major battle points for stop the boats. Absolutely. So I think what we normally end on a beach. We're starting on a beach today. Because yes. I think what we're going to try and do is demonstrate that Ramsgate works and how it works. You brought your togs as well, haven't you? My swimming costume, yeah. Yeah, so yeah. you can reenact the bit where um, Zoe has to be drowned in the sea just well, off I, here. Actually, I, I don't want to do... I've now realised I don't want to do that bit because I'd have to put your swimming costume on. You'd have I? to put my swimming costume force on. You on in, I'd have to force you into my swimming costume. And we'd have to buy the exact same costume and somewhere at another shop. And then, <laughs> then they'd take you out So we're going to be looking for a hat shop, yes. a hotel uh, and a Woolworths because uh, all those things feature in the book. Uh, and then we're going to go out of Ramsgate and try and find the house. That's the key bit. Uh, we're judged by five miles. We're going to get five, five miles. miles. Barcelona, December the 16th, 1936. Australia has been well represented from the beginning in the work under fire of the first British medical unit in Spain which after a long struggle against indifference and prejudice is now widely recognised as having done much to maintain the traditional British reputation for humanitarianism. 
Margot Miller of Sydney, not fully recovered from bullet wounds in both ankles, is now planning to return to work as soon as possible. Margot Miller, a dark, handsome, athletic girl of 24, makes light of the incident at which she was wounded. It should have been quite obvious to the rebels, Miss Miller told me, that neither of us was armed, but machine gun fire was at once directed at us. I was hit in the legs, and we both stumbled somehow into a convenient ditch or shell hole and stayed there for 20 minutes. I said 20 minutes, and that is not our estimate, because it seemed like centuries to us. Wow. So Margot Miller is Margot Bennett, the author of The Widow of Bath. She was born in Scotland, raised in Australia, and served in the Spanish Civil War. Got shot in both ankles. Amazing. (laughs) Extraordinary. But then went back. And then ended up as a translator and a broadcaster. Yes, well, she got she got married in Spain. She did, to Richard Bennett. Yes, that's right. Yeah, yeah. Um, they said the ceremony was conducted by a Republican soldier. He was a journalist and uh, wrote uh, broadcasts for Radio Catalan while they were there. I think, I think he got into a few scrapes as well. Yeah. Interesting couple. Really? Very interesting. I mean, it's... It, the. I think the first thing to say about Margot Bennett is that when you go hunting around for details of her life, you don't find a lot. There's nothing. There's no standard Wikipedia entry, and then you have to really start hunting. She wrote a lot of crime fiction in the 1940s and 1950s. Yeah. Uh, She also wrote the Intelligent Woman's Guide to Atomic Radiation. All right. Fantastic title. Yeah. Uh, Because she was a big player in C and D, right? She was. She. I think both of them had. Should we say left wing politics? Oh, no doubt about it. Uh, yeah, yeah. She wrote two science fiction novels, but she also wrote two very highly regarded mystery thrillers, which the likes of people like Julian Simmons, who write about these things, say are right up there with the best of British crime fiction. Right. Because uh, they were living in, they, you know, they, they were living in Britain during and after the war. They lived in Camden. Yeah. In North London. So not by the sea then? Not by the sea. About as far away from the sea as you can get. <laughs> she uh, wrote a book called The Man Who Didn't Fly, which I think you've read, haven't you? I haven't. I've ordered it because ordered I it. loved this book so much. I thought I'd better read another Which one. Which was nominated. It's the only other one that's in print, as far as I know. Nominated for a gold dagger. And, and the other one is The Widow of a Bath. So yeah. there's two books that are in print. But she also wrote scripts for television. Well, uh, I think she gave up writing novels. Yeah, because she wasn't. To, they, they weren't really doing anything for No, her. but also I think she was lured into the murky world of TV, emerging TV and film in the 60s. She was going to write for Doctor Who. Some people say she was the second female writer to be associated with Doctor Who in that she wrote a script, but it was never it wasn't made. accepted. It was never made. Do you know the history of Doctor Who in the 60s and 70s is that, I mean, there's hardly any women writers on that show. I'm, I just wonder whether there are any women writers <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> in oh, no. any of the big television. I can't imagine there are a lot of women writers on Zed Cars, for example. She also wrote for this magazine, Lilliput. Lilliput. Which you've been looking into. I know. I bought a copy. It hasn't you arrived bought yet. a copy on yes, eBay. I have. I was very but intrigued. Isn't it, isn't it? But does it have to come in a plain brown envelope? Well, you could say that. It's, well, it, <laughs> eventually it did have to because it, obviously it, it ended up merging with uh, men, men Only. Men Only, which we've talked about before, haven't yeah. we? I can't remember in what context. <clears throat> I think it was, it was in the podcast. World magazine. I think it was. Um, it was uh, not a porno, was it? No, I think it was War of the Worlds was excerpted in a, in a Pearson's that's magazine, right, and right. then Pearson's magazine, I think, ended up being part of Men Only, only didn't yeah. it? Yeah, that's right. Anyway, the, the 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 key point is that Richard Bennett was an editor of Lilliput magazine. Yeah. Lilliput magazine was um, it was it was designed to be a bit racy. It had it, it had lots of pictures of lovely ladies clothed. Yeah, um, or not clothes. Um, and also, it was a bit like pun- we were talking about Punch magazine. It 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 wasn't that political. It was more sort of comic. 
Margot Bennett did write for Lilypop magazine, but I can't find any articles by her at all, and no mention of her really in the memory in memory of all the men yeah. uh, about Lilypop magazine. I think we also this book is about uh, dodgy restaurants, right, and yeah. hotels and f- terrible food. Yeah. I've found something very interesting about the f- uh, food and restaurant critic of Lilypop magazine, which oh, okay. I'd like to put in the pot and say this. I think, I think we may have found uh, she must have known this guy Was socially. It called Hugh? He wasn't called Q, no. Um, he, he was called, you're going to like this, he was called Raymond. Oh. <laughs> Raymond would be a food reviewer, right, rather than a hard-nosed assassin. Why can't he be both? <laughs> he woke late the next morning and he had the impression that he had been wakened by silence. The sea was still. There was no noise of wind or of rain. There was no noise of clattering dishes, humming lifts, snarling vacuum cleaners. An hotel without the morning noises it arranges to disturb the guests seems as menacing as a condemned cell. He washed and dressed slowly and went downstairs to a dining room deserted by everyone but a resolutely smiling manager. I am sorry. I am afraid you have missed breakfast. It is over. It is eleven. Some coffee will do, Everton said. I am sorry. There is no more coffee. You seem to be organising a real drive to keep visitors away, Everton said in a mild tone. You'll never get your gold star from the Tourist Association this way. Do you often refuse to feed people? He's quite sassy, isn't he? He's quite sassy, Mr Everton. Yeah. Hugh Everton. The hotel that Hugh is staying in is interesting. He's got a sea view. It later on says it's only got six bedrooms, so it's very small. It's tiny, isn't it? And then the top floor is the waiter's accommodation. Yeah. So it's kind of, I would say it's probably a large domestic house that's been converted into a hotel. Yeah. Um, he talks about uh, walking out of the hotel to, down to the promenade and then down onto the beach. Uh, but it doesn't really give any other clues other than that. He never talks about going down any steps. Now I should explain... Ramsgate is sort of in a valley between two sets of cliffs, East Cliff and West Cliff. A lot of the really big, fancy hotels um, are up on either side on the cliffs. So there was a very famous hotel called the Granville Hotel, which was enormous. It's still here. Uh, Burnt down, was rebuilt uh, several times. Um, There's also the Albion Hotel, which Queen Victoria stayed at. Yeah. And that's been done up as a boutique hotel, but again, too many rooms. But they're up on the, on the and he doesn't. He never mentions going down any steps to come or a lift. To the beach. Or a lift. There is a lift here. Interestingly, the, the bandstand is also up on the cliffs. This is the value of doing a field trip, isn't <laughs> it? It is. Cause Cause we, I came here with some prejudices, uh, I have to say, and, and not just about Ramsgate. <laughs> We're sitting sort of between the beach and the harbour. We're looking at a row of houses. Uh, buildings, I should say, rather than houses. They're not really houses anymore. They don't tend to be restaurants with flats above them. About half a dozen of which could be a small hotel. Absolutely. We also went to a place just around the corner from here called Kent Terrace, which is an interesting little uh, cul-de-sac behind the amusement arcade, which again has got some quite small Victorian houses, maybe yes. even Georgian actually, some of them, looking out over the sea again any one of which could have been a small hotel yes so I'm liking this I'm liking it down here as a potential location for the hotel because well, if he is staying down here he would never see the bandstand well that's right I, what I hadn't quite appreciated so what we're really talking about is, is East Ramsgate isn't it yeah 
and that I hadn't really appreciated that there was this lower down bit by the, which is basically marked by the harbour at this end yeah. and where we part the marina at the other end, yeah. right? But if you thought that the main action of this book took place just in this one small area of Ramsgate, yeah. it would make a lot more sense, doesn't it, suddenly? I want to just mention one other hotel which I'd found, which is a smaller one, no longer there, called the Truro Court Hotel, which I rather took, caught my eye. Now, the only reason I really like it is that it, this article here on Thanet Online says, Workmen uncover a tunnel smugglers may have used. 1962. If you uncover a tunnel on the coast... Smugglers might have used... As a journalist, you are... You are it, it's in the NUJ rules <laughs> that you have to include the word smugglers. Did yeah. you not know that? Did you do it? Did you, did you ever get your NUJ press card? I can't I, remember which clause it is. It's like I 15 did. or 16. But sadly, I was a technical journalist working on building services. And uh, when, we, when we found about tunnels, we just wrote about the tunnels. <laughs> <laughs> and now they were built. Okay. I, I, to be honest, I actually worked in a publishing house where one of the, one of the titles was called Tunnels and Tunnelling. Oh, well. Wow. It was a monthly. We proposed that it should go weekly and be called Boring Weekly. <laughs> Very good. Wow, you've been sitting on that one for 30 years. Thank you very much. Yeah. I'm here all week. You're listening to the Curiously Specific Book Club, the podcast that's curiously specific about dates and locations of well-known books. If you want to listen to part two of this podcast straight away, and without ads, you need to support us on Patreon. Just go to patreon.com and search for Curiously Specific. And for £2, you will get immediate access to ad-free episodes and notes and photographs and videos and maps that will help to uh, enhance your listening experience. Uh, For £5, Mm -hmm. uh, you can join us on our Discord server. We're a a tight-knit, well-informed, highly intelligent community of like-minded folk are discussing everything from uh, people with the same as name, Stuart, uh, uh, Cthulhu, has making made several appearances on there, which is very good. Yeah. Um, and then you and Rue were were having a nostalgic talk about how lovely it is in here. It's almost like it was back in the nineties <laughs> when everyone was nice to each other on the internet. We were having that conversation, but that's what it's like. It's nice. It's very web one point um, So you can join us down there and uh, uh, and uh, enjoy yourselves. So yes, just go to patreon.com, search for Curiosity Specific Book Club, uh, and um, and fill your boots. Yes. Now back to the podcast. If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you're 
you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full, important safety information, visit Juvederm.com. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... All right, I'll do. It. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Podcast. He ate his veal and ham pie without tasting it. This was easy enough, as it had no taste. He tried a little to assimilate the conversation of the people behind him, but only the trivial words came through. The table seemed to have its silent areas. There were five people, but only three voices. He saw that his own unpleasant waiter, walking softly like a mouse aware of a trap, was circling the other table. He was serving chicken. Was this intolerable? (laughs) How agreeable it would have been to have stayed forever in the world whose idea of the unendurable was poor service. Luxury is wasted on the permanently luxurious. Waste no luxury should be his creed, he thought, still trying to hold the situation down and paint a new face on it. The important thing was to be a reasonable man. Would he be recognised by the back of his head, he asked himself, afraid. He put down his knife and fork pushed his plate away, scowled a negation at the approaching waiter, and with his quick, light, frightened step, walked out of the dining room towards the bar. We've all done that. There's a lot going on in that paragraph. There is a lot. Reading it back. That's like the whole setup of the book is in that paragraph. Who's on the table behind him? Why would they recognise him? Why is he even worried about being recognised? Yeah. 
We've got thoughts about Hugh, haven't really we? Really interesting. That really he may not be a, just a restaurant reviewer. That yeah, there's something. He, yeah. there's, he's got a whole back backstory that so, needs to be um, explained. So, and this, the waiters are dodgy as well. Everyone's dodgy. Yeah. Everyone's dodgy. I mean, this is in this. So, what is this hotel that he's staying in? She says later on it's got six bedrooms. It's tiny. Yeah. yeah. So somehow they managed to sustain six bedrooms, a restaurant, and a bar. There never seems to be anyone in the restaurant or the bar other than yeah. maybe one of and the And the waiters person. can't wait and the chef can't cook. Yeah. So obviously what he discovers, plot spoiler, is that this hotel is sort of a front yeah. for uh, basically smuggling people into England. Who via... knew Ramsgate was a place of people smuggling? Yeah. I, who knew? But this one seems like some weird amalgam of a guest house and a hotel. Is wrong. And it feels... So it's meant to feel wrong. maybe you're supposed to feel that it's wrong. Okay, so yes. anyway, it's, it's, you're meant to feel it's wrong, aren't you? Because he yeah. knows immediately. Hugh, Hugh is a restaurant. He supposedly Hugh is a restaurant reviewer, right? Well, so who's he working for? So I, we were talking about, you know, who's he reviewing yes, hotels for? This is a good for? question. I mean, one th- one people he may be reviewing for is the AA, the Automobile Association. Okay, so when did they start so, their um, guide? Good quality hotels have been recommended by... I'm getting this from the AA. Yeah. Good quality hotels have been recommended by the AA almost since its inception in 1905. In 1908, about 1,000 of the leading hotels in the UK worked with AA scouts, what oh, okay. call them, to provide information for motorists on places to stay, which was then listed in the 1909 handbook. By 1912, it was felt that a more critical approach was necessary to indicate the kind of hotel that was listed. The then AA secretary, Stenson Cook, good name, mm. had once been a wine and spirit salesman and felt that the star rating of brandy would be a familiar yardstick to apply to of course, hotels. Of course. In his words, a really decent, average, middle-class hotel would merit the standard three stars. Oh. So that's where we get our star rating from, is brandy. <laughs> that's weird. But this feels like a best a two-star and probably more like a one-star hotel. Oh, no but, question. So yeah. maybe Hugh's cover is he's reviewing for the, for, the, uh, for the AA. And the key thing is the food is terrible. And that is bang on for the early 50s. Because when this book came out, fifty-two, of course, they'd got. Um, I, I read somewhere that one of the one of the motivating factors to get rid of Clement Attlee uh, and bring back Winston Churchill was that everyone was really fed up with rationing yeah. of, of terrible food. Yeah, I think there is one other candidate for the uh, inspector here, and I mentioned that Lilliput had a food critic and you restaurant did. critic. You left that hanging intriguingly. Raymond, Raymond Postgate. Oh. Raymond Postgate, what a character. He was he was a member of the Communist Party. Um, he was a pacifist in World War One and was sent to prison. Published reports by Ernest Hemingway on the Spanish Civil War. Uh, he wrote left-wing pamphlet called Why You Should Be a Socialist, which was distributed widely in 1945 and contributed significantly to the Labour Party's landslide victory. How does he get to be a food critic, right? Oh. Interested in food and wine, he became a regular column in Lilliput magazine. He invited readers to send him reports on eating places throughout the UK, which he would collate and publish. The response was overwhelming, and Postgate's notional Society for the Prevention of Cruelty to Food, as he was calling it, (laughs) developed into The Good Food Guide, which is with us today. Yes, it is. So he invented The Good Food Guide. First issue came out in 1951. Shut the door. Mm, not bad, is no, it? No, very good. Uh, he also published The Plain Man's Guide to Wine, which I like the, the sound of The Plain Man's Guide to Wine. The Plain Man's Guide to Wine. It's not rather than The Intelligent Woman's Guide to, 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 to Radiation. Tra- the Plain Man's, <laughs> plain guide, man's to guide to Wine. You can see that the men are thinking differently to yeah. the women, aren't you? Yeah. He wrote an article in Holiday Magazine where he warned readers against baby sham, which looks like <laughs> champagne, 
but is made of pears, and the company sued him for libel. <laughs> it's an important public service warning people this against baby shows. This man is such a fantastic character, I promise you, he's so amazing. Uh, I found this on thecaterer.com. It says, Austerity Vision was a great plane of desolation, the unending and never-varying sequence of sullen and ill-managed hotels and unfriendly restaurants serving overcooked meats and sodden vegetables with no flavours but those that came out of a bottle. That was written by Raymond uh, Postgate in 1951. Brilliant. So where's she getting her ideas from? Yeah, very Do you think good. what I mean? Yeah. Where's she getting to this? A rationing not repealed until 1954. Now, the final thing about Raymond Postgate, of course. Yeah. I was going to say, that, sur- that surname's rather uh, um, evocative. Yeah, and why? Yeah, because Be- Oliver, right? Yes, that's his son. Is it really? That's his son. He's Oliver Postgate. The inventor of Bagpuss. And, and the uh, Clangers. And uh, uh, a Pogles Wood, did he do? He All kinds the, of stuff. He did the, the Viking. Nog in the Nog. Nog in the Nog. He did Nog in the Nog. Yeah. So what I'm saying to you is that that Hugh, to some extent, could be it, the role model for Hugh, could be Bagpuss's granddad. Yeah. Well, the other interesting thing about that is 1952 was the first appearance of Sooty. Yes. So, you know, there's a, there's a whole... Is that the unnerving person who's sitting behind you <laughs> not saying anything? <laughs> policeman was rowing a small boat up and down, while another stood in the stern holding a rope. The harbour was small, and there were many boats moored in it. Every few minutes the drag anchor caught in the moorings of another boat. A thickening crowd stood on the promenade and on the little pier, eating oranges, ice cream and sandwiches out of paper bags. None of them knew that a murder had been committed and the body lost. But they knew the policemen were not fishing for mackerel, and hopes of drowned bodies naturally came to every mind. So I'm just thinking about that reading now, and looking at these border force boats, which are obviously there to stop uh, or to pick up uh, people who have come over, asylum seekers, migrants, whatever you want to call them, depending on your political leanings. Uh, have uh, come over in boats uh, to Ramsgate and people do gather to watch them come ashore, don't they? they do, do they? Yeah, I remember staying down in Greatstone down in, further down into Kent and there was a big story that loads of boats had come ashore and everyone rushed down there to have a look. Yeah. It, it was very odd. Anyway, we're sitting on, we are sitting on a pier. We're sitting on the big pier at Ramsgate Harbour looking down into the harbour and, as I say, looking at three border force boats and a Royal Naval vessel, vessel, which are obviously gathered here for one purpose and one purpose only, right, Tim? To keep the German spies out. Keep the German waiters out, more specifically. <laughs> keep the waiters out. <laughs> we don't want any of your German there's waiters. Been a, there's been a, a, an infestation. Your, your Greek barman here. Thank foreign you waiters. <laughs> They're taking all the jobs, They're the waiting jobs from all those it, all people who are queuing up to do them yeah. in Britain. Um, I did, I, I'm afraid, I did go and look at the GB News website. Oh, I hope you cleared your cash afterwards. I apologise. But it did say that uh, last August, small boat arrivals hit a record level. More than 600 migrants were taken to processing in one day. 
Uh, GB News filmed two Border Force vessels, the catamarans Typhoon and Volunteer, arriving together to unload dozens of people. Dozens. Dozens of them. We're being overwhelmed. Yeah. So we should say we're here because the reading that Tim just did is uh, the judge, Judge Bath, is fished out of the water here. Yes. Um, uh, and a, a crowd gathered to watch it happen. Plot spoiler alert. Uh, his body has been dumped here. Um, it would only be in the harbour if if, uh, if it had been dumped in the harbour. It yep. wouldn't drift into the harbour. Um, so it works pretty well. I mean, th- there's still a lingering doubt that the harbour is quite large here at Ramsgate. And that it's all might relative, be isn't it? An issue. I mean, I mean, compared to, I don't know, Felix Doe, it's very small. It's bigger than... It's not as big as Dover, obviously. No. Or Folkestone. So it's it's, it's quite cosy. And this isn't quite a pier. It, it, no. They call it... The thing is, they call it a pier in, in, in the, the town. The East the Pier. The signage is to the East Pier. Yeah. So... It's got some kind of brasserie at the end, it says. And it's, it runs away from the promenade in front of the the terrace that we were talking about as being possible location for the hotels. So in, in, to your point that the whole action of the book takes place in quite a small area, Yeah, this is part of that small area. It would. Um, the whole history of Ramsgate and, um, and um, people coming in from Europe, there's a, there's a lot of that. So this, in terms of it being a town where a lot of foreigners turn up yeah. in a slightly unexplained way, it kind of, it kind of works on that basis yeah. as well. Okay, I'm so, saying it's um, a series. This is like a series one outing for me. It's one of those ones where you were turned up with not being very sure about the place. We don't know it that well, yeah. And we're having to use our eyes and ears rather than our to brains onto the book. to kind of work out the. Yeah. And then we're going to have to go home and then rethink the book based on what we. Yeah. I seem to remember the dark is rising was really good for that. That yeah. we didn't quite know where everything was, and it took us half a day to sort of work it all out. And then suddenly the penny dropped. Yeah. And we're like. Oh no, this does work. It does work. It does all hang together. It's I've a bit like a, that. Yeah. I've got a bit of a feeling about this yeah, that the no, penny I think might that's drop. Good shout, yeah. You know who I am? I'm not sure of your name, but you're one of the waiters. One who came in a small sailing boat. I suppose the organisation passed you through Europe in the usual way. I'm not sure from what part of Europe, but I think... I think you might be Greek. Yes, he repeated, I think you're Greek. And I think that you were once prominent, a patriot who made sure there would be no unemployment in the firing squads until even your own side protested... And then there was a little flurry, a little purge, and you were just another political prisoner. But I can't remember your name. You were released, weren't you? But no one outside Greece was very interested by then. I remember when you were arrested there, there was a great movement in this country for you, an even greater one against you. However, you were released, and I don't know why you had to come here. Mm. So Hugh is in the the back of a van. Well, that's a, another... Hugh again. With a dodgy waiter. Well, I was going to say, if you're a restaurant reviewer, you're not the kind of... Why are you the kind of man who, as you wander out, you think, oh, there's something dodgy going on in that van. I'll open up the back of that van and jump in it. It just jumps in. It's very Bond, isn't it? It's very Bond. We've got these waiters and a barman working in this hotel. Hmm. None of them qu- seem to be quite who they say they are. One of them is German. Yes. One of them is Greek. 
Isn't there an Italian as well? There's a sort of there's a there's a whole there's a whole set there's of a deep kind of mistrust of foreign waiters um, in this book. But the other the other interesting <laughs> thing is how come Hugh knows so much about this guy? I know, right? So it's not just the waiter that's dodgy. Hugh himself is very dodgy. It's yes. very interesting. All yes. this kind of stuff. You're kind of in this kind of world where there are these strange folk who have kind of come into England from outside, related to the war or just after the war. You don't know what they're doing there. So Ullman, who's the German, mm. has, has got a, a background in Vichy France, right? He's doing dodgy stuff in in France during the war. I think he's mine. He runs a mining he operation, runs mining, doesn't he? Basically, he's got treat- slave labour yeah, going, down, right. going down the mines. Yeah, is this based on any kind of reality? Is this sort of you know we we th- we asked ourselves the question: Is is this the kind of thing that's going on? I mean, the general context for this is after the war. I think 1947 was the uh, the new Immigration Act, which uh, unlocked a lot of immigration from the Commonwealth, as, yeah. it, as, as was. But there was also a thing called the European Volunteer Workers Scheme. Did you look at this? No, I don't know. Um, which which came up it came up in the uh, after 1945, um, and in that one, the Ministry of Labour basically sent out people to the uh, displaced persons camps and said, come and work in the UK. Because they, they needed people to, to work. I've read this thing called uh, When the War Was Over, European Refugees After 1945. So lots of Ukrainians, lots of Latvians, um, you know, so pe- things that were behind the Iron Curtain. The, the other interesting thing is none of this was open to European Jews. There you go. Mm. Um, uh, but there, And there was a backlash against it. The Daily Mirror, in an article headed, Let Them Be Displaced, which is really not, because they've come from displaced persons camp, captured the backlash against European volunteer workers. Other countries had taken the cream and left us most of the scum. Some, no doubt, are in the black market. They add to our discomfort and swell the crime wave. They cannot be tolerated. They must now be rounded up and sent back. Oh, this sounds familiar. This sounds very familiar. About some people turning up in a boat in Ramsgate. So that's Very familiar. So that's going on. Well, I found some other stuff about... Because in, in the book, what they're trying to do is they're, they're coming in, taking an identity as a waiter or a caterer of some sort, hotel worker. Getting work. And then when, they, when they've done a bit of time and got their new papers and their passports yeah. and stuff, they apply for a visa to go to America and disappear into America. Yeah. Now, I found a, um, an article on networkshnet.org how thousands of Nazis were rewarded with life in the U.S., and it says here that it was an ad hoc policy. It was not a formal policy approved by the White House or even the CIA. So to say we're going to actively recruit Nazis, their past be damned. There's no document that I found, this is the journalist who investigated, which gives blanket authority for that. But it grew sort of organically because you had whole networks of Nazi spy groups in Europe as well as the Middle East and Latin America. And often these guys made it into the United States sort of one by one. So this is exactly them, right? Yeah. There's very little evidence that the Nazis had much to do with each other once they got to the United States. Yeah. So he's uncovered this was definitely going on. Yeah. Now, it's interesting you're saying about, the worker, about this absence of workers. Now, Canada has a role to play in this. <laughs> Uh, Canada, yeah, <laughs> the most. E- Canada is always at the back of the I, most I'm evil things. I was going to say they seem to stay out of it all the time, but yeah, really, we all they're know right in it. We know what's going yeah, on, Canada. Yeah. We see you. Well, they had a massive food shortage uh, after the war, so the the food thing is relevant here. That 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 um, they didn't have enough people to go and be farmers and know how to grow, not just grow food, but process food, and that they were looking for people from Eastern Europe who used to farm. So the mm. Ukrainians obviously. Were, were big on this because they were the breadbasket of Europe. So they wanted them to come over and create the breadbasket of Canada. Mm. I found this in 
Yeah, it's called Unauthorised Entry, The Truth About Nazi War Criminals in Canada, 1946 to 1956. In, from 51 to 56, there's a chapter entitled The Era of Risk Management. Margolian admits, this is the author, that the preoccupation of immigration officials now shifted from the threat of Nazi infiltration to the fear of communist entries. So what was going on in Canada was that they were encouraging more and more people to come to Canada and set up life, but they didn't want any commies. No. So if they happened to be old Nazis, well, well, forgive, forgive and forget. And, of course, Germany at that time was very keen on easing war crimes trials. Yeah. So Adenauer, who was the chancellor at that time, he was pushing very hard for a demand for lenient treatment for convicted Germans. And this was actually met by all the uh, by the allied countries, and the trials were winding down. Yeah. So again, it is perfect that they would have been people who were who were who had been put in prison post war as collaborators. Yeah. Now they'd got a pardon or been allowed to let out, and then places like Canada were saying, "Oh, get yourself a visa, yeah. preferably under a different name, yeah. and you can come and help us sort out our food problem." Touching down at Moulton Airport, Toronto, a Skymaster brings 39 British immigrants, men and women, to the beginning of a new chapter in their lives. Leaving the plane, mechanics, draftsmen, farm workers and typists receive a warm-hearted welcome from Ontario's Premier, George A. Drew, who originated the plan for emigration by air. This first party is the spearhead of 7,000 more Britons who are to fly to Canada within the next few months. May good fortune attend them in their new careers, made possible only by the enterprise and generosity of a great dominion. The swimming sheds were large, ugly, white concrete with a few arches to remind the suggestible of Morocco. Under one of the arches, an old man sat at an old card table, nodding over rolls of green tickets. The sun had set. The sand looked wet and grey. The sea was deep and still. The family parties had gone home. The deck chairs were folded up. The sand castles were yielding to the crawling tide. No one was swimming. No one was bathing. No one was paddling. The old man loyal to his working hours, evidently meant to drowse his time out by the empty sheds. He blinked and stared at the policeman. Girls, he said. Women? He shook his head. I've seen plenty bathing beauties in my time, he said cryptically. I take no interest. I saw a video of bathing beauties online on YouTube at yeah. the Ramsgate Beauty Contest at yeah. the marina. Yeah. And I took a lot of interest. Did you? It was fabulous. They look. Well, they all looked magnificent. Well, uh, God, <laughs> me and my partner Leslie Phillips, um, Ding dong. Uh, are talking about the beach at Ramsgate. So these swimming sheds. There are several references to the swimming mm. sheds, and in fact, a key bit of business in the book takes place in the swimming sheds. Yes, it's crucial, actually. A isn't crucial it? piece of uh, evidence is located mm. there. I've not been able to find any pictures of them, but no. what there was on the front here. Indeed, we've parked our car in the car park that now replaced it. Was um, an enormous Lido with a massive diving ball. That's right where by the, the beauty contests were. That's where the re- beauty contests were. Hence the connection. So Tim wasn't just randomly looking at beauty contests. Oh, he may do that, but he doesn't talk to me about it. We've come slightly past there. We're we're in a in a, in a shelter 
up at East Cliff Beach, which is the other end of the uh, the beach from where most of the action takes place in the book. And I've got a horrible feeling the Coast Guard is coming towards us. Oh, OK. Is it not? Maybe it's full of German waiters. And these swimming sheds, so I, I, I'm, I, I'm hypothesising that the swimming sheds are actually a reference to the changing rooms for the Lido yes. and the beach. Because you can't find any others, right? Well, it's all, got, it's all been crumped now, and there are, you know, there's new apartments being built... There's some old kind of 50s apartments there. The Lido's all gone. It was closed finally, I think, in the 80s. Shame. Um, which is a real shame. Uh, and there's lots of stuff online about people's memories of it. But no one ever alludes to the swimming sheds, and I can find no pictures of them. No. I did find an old postcard which kind of had a, an artist's rendition of beach huts with something behind them that looked like, as she says there, about archways with white concrete. So... I think it's a fair bet that they were down here somewhere. It all hangs together in terms of where everything is. She doesn't obviously mention the Lido. No. So that we were speculating maybe that none of the characters ever get up as far as the Lido because it's a bit of a walk from the beach. Well, there's a point in the book where Zoe, who works in the hat shop, is walked up by the, by the German war criminal. Ullman. Um, and he, he's trying to walk her to the remote end of the beach. Which would be this end, right? Yes. So we're on East Cliff Promenade yeah. and East Cliff Beach. But I think it, there's, a, there's a gap between the harbour beach... West Cliff Beach. Yeah, and then this bit, and yeah. the car park where we are, yeah. the Lido. There's quite a long bit there. It could be in that gap. Where, right? in fact, if you went before to the end of that to, beach... Before you get to the Lido. Yeah, you might be in the middle of nowhere. And the other point about that is that that, that was where the old railway station was. And yes. it's now the Ramsgate... Ramsgate well, it's now the Ramsgate Tunnels, which you can go and visit, which were used in World War Two as air raid shelters. Yeah. But in 1951, if we think that's when this book is set, it would have been closed down... Uh, but probably boarded up and, yeah. and fairly derelict. And there wouldn't have been any stairs there, no. I don't think. No. So as a, it, it was on the way to nowhere. If you weren't going to the Lido, yeah. then you weren't going anywhere down no. there, were you? No. So that might be a quiet place. Although people will, will, would be walking to the Lido past there, I, I guess so, unless they came down from the top yeah. more often than not. Plausible. I, I, I worry about the sheds. But, I worry um, about the sheds and the Lido they, generally. I think they're a memory of somewhere else. I'm not sure I believe... No, I think them. the sheds were here. I'm fairly confident the sheds were here. OK. I just need to prove it. I'm yeah. more worried about the fact that she doesn't mention the Lido. Yes, that is odd. Yeah. Because, yes, uh, that is one of the moments where you think, ah, she's stripped out all the bits that make it into a big seaside town yeah. I'm going to mention the bandstand again just, yeah, so she's stripped bandstand. out the Lido and the bandstand yeah. and anything that's too sort of yes. populous yes. Uh, where people would gather yes. she's got rid of all of those indeed that's uh, absolutely right Yeah. so that's what she, she's taken Ramsgate and taken all the, the, the public gathering places out yes. she doesn't mention the Weatherspoons either she doesn't mention the Weatherspoons isn't it the UK's Pavilion. largest Weatherspoons the UK's largest Weatherspoons yeah which we managed to walk past without going in, which I thought was very uh, disciplined of us. Well, it was about 10 in the morning. It was about 10 in the morning. <laughs> I know I like pubs, but I don't like them that much. <laughs> well, I'll tell you what, I'll tell you what, though, I might go for a swim. I forgot to bring my togs. No. Go for a swim. Yeah. <laughs> go for a swim. I want to, yeah. No, 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 yeah. Would I come back?
We're going to leave the beach now. We're going to go inland a little bit. We've had a nice time on the promenade. We had a little swim. We had a little swim. I had a swim in my pants. I don't think the listener needs that level of... Uh, I had to take my sandy pants out of the back of your car. Sandy pants. Isn't, is he one of the waiters? <laughs> yeah, we're leaving the beach behind. For uh, That's the end of part one. We'll be back with part two in a week's time, unless mm-hmm. you subscribe to our Patreon page, where part two is already there waiting for you without any ads. Yeah, and don't forget that for five pounds, there's a there's a secret society of waiters. Oh, not waiters, <laughs> of, 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 of fans of our podcast. Yes, and we uh, don't discuss sandy pants in that. Uh, it's a sandy pants free zone. No, we might discuss terrible food. Yeah. Uh, Are we doing self-conscious pants again? Oh, sorry. I haven't mentioned that we were Radio Times Pick of the Week. That's quite self-conscious of you as well, yeah. isn't it? Um, we are, well, anyway, we were Radio Times Pick of the Week. So uh, we'll be back shortly. Uh, we're going to have a little wander around. We're going to look for a hat shop. We're going to look for a hat shop oh, an yes. employment agency. There's Zoe is a character who wor- works in a, in a hat shop. Yeah. And she's uh, the boyfriend of one of the dodgy crims. Yeah, she's the girlfriend of one of the dodgy crims. The girlfriend. <laughs> Sorry, why did I say that? I don't know why you yeah. said that. Yeah. Um, so we're looking for a hat shop. We're looking for an employment agency. And then we're going to go for a little bit of a drive up the shore five miles north of Ramsgate. Yeah, they insist look- that the house of the judge is five miles from the yeah. beach. Yeah. So if so you go five miles the- from Ramsgate, where do you get? You get somewhere very interesting. More of which are non. See you on the other side. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns.